listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. You're listening to Shift Happens. My name is Anna. And my name is Jeff. And today we are talking to um, an RN, actually, about bioidentical hormones. Her name is Sherry Uremko. Sherry, are you there? I'm here. Are you all there? (laughs) I'm all here. I have to ask that for all of our guests. Sometimes they fall asleep when they're on hold on the phone, you know? (laughs) Mentally and physically, I'm in the room. Yeah? Sounds great. Right on. So Jeff and I met Sherry at a wellness conference a few weeks ago, and she was doing a seminar about bioidentical hormones. And one of the things she opened with was the fact that over, well, the majority of deaths in women over the age of menopause is completely preventable. So Sherry, tell us why that is. Because estrogen replacement prevents your strokes, your heart attacks, your dementia, your Parkinson's. It's um, uh, been well researched and the evidence is is all there that estrogen is actually cardioprotective. You have a a very, um, you know, the highest uh, killer of women over 60 is heart attack and stroke, one in uh, four. So why is it, sorry. No, that's okay. I'm just wondering, why is it that there's all the fear around taking Uh, hormone supplementation? In um, 2002, the Women's Health Institute study came out, and it showed it was stopped because the women in the cohort were getting higher rates of breast cancer and higher rates of of heart attack and stroke. And so they stopped the study, and they told everybody to go off their hormones. And they should have, because the hormones that they were using in that study were the old-fashioned Premarin and Progestin, Prempro, uh, and we now know that progestins are very um, uh, strong promoters of, of cancer and heart attack. Uh, the bioidentical hormones that we have out now through compounding pharmacies are safe and completely different. Chalk and cheese, not the same thing at all. So all those scary media stories were based on studies that were using hormones that were Dangerous, old-fashioned, and and big pharma products. Right. But if I go to my doctor now and I ask for hormone supplementation, they will still be prescribing those pharmaceutical progestin, premarin hormones, will they not? I would say it's going to be divided between the doctors who will still prescribe those if you insist and the doctors who will tell you that you don't need them, and the reason that they say that is because they're scared as well, and so they're not prescribing any hormones if they can help it. Okay. And then the odd, you know, there, there is the odd small segment of the conventional GP population who actually does prescribe um, the safer versions, the bioidentical versions, the esterases, the compounding, um, but it, those, those docs are, are hard to find. So... As a woman, just postmenopausal now, 
should I just automatically be taking hormone supplementation regardless of what I'm experiencing for symptoms? The American uh, Gynecological Association has come out as of March of 2015 and recommended that all of, all of the um, women over 50 uh, should be placed on uh, one milligram of estrogen. And, and progesterone, natural bioidentical progesterone, uh, daily for prevention of cardiovascular disease. So yes, the sooner that you start on bioidentical hormones after menopause, the more cardioprotective that's going to be. Wow, okay. So, okay, you're, you're talking a lot about women right now. <laughs> Jeff's feeling left yeah, out. Yeah, I'm feeling left <laughs> out. What about men? Men should definitely be looking into replacing testosterone for the same reasons. Uh, Men's uh, physiology turns uh, that testosterone into lovely things like more muscle mass, a flatter belly, more energy, uh, better mood, uh, but also another downstream effect of all that lovely testosterone is cardiovascular protection when the body aromatizes a little of it into a form of estrogen that works the same as estrogen replacement in females, and it disrupts that, uh, stops that plaque in the vessels from even forming in the first place. Hmm. So at, at what age then should a man be taking testosterone then? I, I mean, it goes downhill after what, 25 or 28 <laughs> years old? <laughs> you're going yeah. to. <laughs> you know, you're not wrong there. I, I think, you know, the decline of hormones begins for men and women uh, somewhere around 40 and gets substantially more, more, more uh, serious every year. Uh, but if, if the man is noticing that, um, you know, he's having some issues uh, with. Um, Erections, or he's just falling asleep after dinner, and he's just not got the get up and go that he used to have. His get up and go got up and went. Got up and went precisely left the room, and he should probably be taking himself off to the doctor and and trying to find out if he can get a uh, a testosterone level. But there's also the downside that testosterone levels are a bit misleading, especially for GPs who may not know what they're looking for. Because if you were a high testosterone-producing man in your 20s and, uh, and 30s, and you, you just sort of shifted down one sort of level, which might be perfectly normal and high for the next guy, but you're still feeling it because you were a high testosterone guy, and now it slipped a little. And, and for you, you know, it's significant. Uh, so it's, you have to find someone who knows basically what they're doing, you know. For me, it's significant. You've told me that (laughs) it's significant for me. I'm getting really insecure now. (laughs) Well, that whole insecure feeling is what happens when you lack testosterone. Uh, It's that lack of confidence that we really need to address because men need to have their their mojo and their confidence and their ability to, you know, tackle life like they want to. Yeah, and what was that statement you made a couple weeks ago? If you don't wake up... Oh, with morning wood, you've got yes. a problem. Then you got a problem. Yes, that's uh, if if that's a, a statement I can make on air. Yes, the very first morning you uh, wake up with morning wood, th- without, without morning it. wood, that that's the day that you might want to start thinking about. You know, hmm, might be time to to keep an eye on this. Yeah. So, okay, so then how do you know what the ideal level is for you? You're saying that uh, some people, some men, uh, in their younger days, they have higher than normal testosterone. And then how do you know what is ideal once they've become an old fart or a, 
you know, more advanced in years? Well, we have something called an Adam questionnaire, which asks a few sort of very pointed questions, enabling us to get at, you know, the the symptoms of lower than optimal testosterone. And don't forget, when we're replacing hormones, we're always aiming for optimal. We're not aiming for normal. Normal is a setting on the dryer. We're always aiming for that level that you had in your early 30s. That's going to give you optimal functioning throughout your entire life. So when we, um, when we look at this uh, fellow that's come in in front of us and, and we're asking him some questions, you know, it's only important if the guy is aware that there's something changed here. There's right. something I would like to have more energy, uh, get up and go, um, sex drive, more muscle mass, uh, more energy, you know, those kind of things. If, if he's actually noticed uh, quite a decline, is that's, there, you know, that's that's the criteria right there. Okay. Is there a risk associated with taking too much bioidentical progesterone or testosterone or testosterone or estrogen? You certainly want to keep in within the dosage that your practitioner prescribes, uh, because you know that's going to give you the best levels. A good practitioner is going to be testing the levels as they go along. After you've been on it for a couple of months, you know, you're going to get another serum level to check where you are so that that's the correct dosage for you that gets you in that optimal range. And that's where we kind of want to stay. So um, I hate to ask this, but is there a way people can find a practitioner that is up on this stuff? No pun intended. I don't think that the average physician out there is really all that well-informed about bioidentical hormones? Your best bet is your local compounding pharmacy, to be honest with you, in each community. The compounding pharmacies generally know which physicians are going to be comfortable with prescribing bioidentical hormones because, by and large, they're made from scratch in a compounding pharmacy specific for you. They're not patented um, products. They cannot be, uh, you know, they're not purchased at Shoppers Drug Mart uh, for the most, testosterone specifically. There are products that you can certainly get at um, local, you know, big, big chain drugstores that are bioidentical and that do work. Uh, but most, by and large, it's, uh, most bioidentical hormones production is, is coming from a, a compounding pharmacist. So if you go into those places, they will be able to tell you which, which people in your community would be good to, to recommend. Okay. I, I happen to know that here in Nelson, uh, I think the Pharmasave and Remedies RX both have compounding pharmacists, so that's one option. Um, I don't know who the practitioners are in the area that are familiar with this issue, but if somebody isn't able to find a practitioner locally that they they can work with, can they work with you? I know you're located in Kamloops. I am located in Kamloops, but I do have clients absolutely all over the province, and I find myself on the road a lot. Uh, you know, it might be a couple of weeks before I can actually get to you, but I can certainly, I do make an effort to see everybody if they can't uh, travel to either um, have the north covered by being kind of central in Smithers, and I get the south covered by being sort of central in um, Vancouver, or sorry, in Kamloops. But I do uh, often go to the island in Vancouver, so I'm, you know, it's certainly doable, it's possible. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, just in case anybody's listening to that and they're really interested, uh, I will do a posting on shifthappens.media for the show today, and I will include Cheryl's contact information. Um, Can you just quickly give us your email in case people are desperate to get a hold of you? Absolutely. The email is mylastname at gmail.com. So Y-A-R-E-M. C-O, Yaremco at gmail.com. I have a website, which is truehealthspan.com, T-R-U, truehealthspan.com, all one word. Okay. And a Facebook page as well. Okay. And we will include all that information on our post for today. So if you want to share this information with a friend, we will be podcasting the audio of the interview afterwards. So I've got a question to ask you. Okay. Is there any quality control on the products themselves? I mean, if you go to one pharmacy versus another, is it always going to be the same in terms of consistency? Well, I think we have to trust that the pharmacists themselves, if they are a compounding pharmacist and have the training to be a compounding pharmacist, they're going to be, you know, required to have a standardized approach to the way they produce their mixes and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the standards of the, the bases that they use. I, I would think anyone that would be going to see a compounding pharmacist is going to get quality uh, product because they're certainly, um, you know, conscientious professionals and they wouldn't do anything less. You had mentioned to me before that there are, um, base ingredients from different companies, some better than others. Um, is that true that there are some compounding pharmacists that may be using product that's better than other? I, I couldn't comment on that because I work with people, with pharmacies that use the very, very finest uh, quality of, of, of uh, product. Right. And I, I wouldn't be able to comment about uh, other places um, if they're a compounding pharmacist, they're going to have their choice of suppliers right. uh, for their bases. And when they, when they put in their order, uh, one, would, one would hope that all those, um, all those bases are going to be just as pure and, uh, as, as possible. Okay. So there's more to this. I mean, um, I met Cheryl, well, under duress. <laughs> Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Under distress. Well, distress, whatever. Um, as our listeners know, I had an issue that came up a couple, well, almost three years ago. And I ended up having heart, open heart surgery. And I never realized that I still had a problem. Like, I knew I had psychological problems. I mean, everyone knows that. But... <laughs> Anyway, uh, here I am at this event, and Anna introduces me to Cheryl, and Cheryl insists on bringing me over to her booth so that she can measure my blood pressure and my... Blood sugar. Blood sugar. And I sat down, and I felt really, really bad. (laughs) And so when she had the various devices on me, she's going, do I need to take you to the hospital? Because it was that bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's when I realized that, and it came out of her mouth, uh, PTSD. 
And so I'm, I was still reliving the trauma and just the thought of there being a problem and then the thought of me getting hauled off in an ambulance uh, was enough to kill me. And so I realized I had some stuff that I had to deal with. But one of the biggest things, one of the issues that I had, and I've shared this on air several times, is the fact that the medical industry they recommend a totally different diet than what I should actually have been consuming all this time. And so we had an appointment with Cheryl uh, the very next day after the, the event, and she confirmed to me that I need to be eating a high-protein, lots of veggies, really low carbs and low sugar and all of that, and then for those of you that listened to our show last week, we were talking about sugar. And anyway, so I've been on this program for a couple weeks. And I would say starting about 10 days ago, I've been losing a pound a day. Wonderful. I'm very happy to hear that. And I've been very strict with this. And, you know, one of the frustrations that I have, when you end up putting on poundage, whatever, everyone assumes that you somehow don't have any self-control. And I'm a former bodybuilder. Self-control was never an issue. But for whatever reason, things just started to change. And uh, again, medication complicated things. And so what I'd like to ask you, Cheryl, is can you share with the listeners how our modern diet affects our health and what is the impact on hormone levels and can you change your hormone levels with certain kinds of food can you eat foods for example that encourage testosterone or well discourage it discourage it or or uh, you know or the, the female hormone estrogen right we're just on the cusp of of, an, of another paradigm shift in what's uh, considered to be a, a proper cardiac preventative diet. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was avoid butter and eggs and all that stuff. Now, of course, we know there's all the latest research, and it's just starting to hit the mainstream media. All the latest publications are that, you know what, we were really led astray with that. What we need to do is prevent the inflammation inside the blood vessels. When you have hot, red, inflamed blood vessels, they get tacky. And the cholesterol that's always in your system because your liver produces it, it's supposed to be there. We need cholesterol to actually build our hormones. It's the building blocks of all of our hormones. And we cannot function without our hormones. Cholesterol is necessary. Liver produces it. You've got cholesterol circulating all the time. The problem comes when those the cholesterol droplets start to adhere to the inflamed, red, irritated walls of the vessels. Then you get a plaque started in your heart, in your carotid artery, wherever that's going to happen. What causes the red, tacky, inflamed vessels? Sugar. Sugar in all of its forms, and that could include a donut, baking, anything, you know, white flour, wheat, uh, there is tons of foods out there that is considered normal North American diet that we eat three times a day that actually um, cause a lot, that turn to sugar immediately and cause a lot of inflammation. You know, sugar rots your enamel, and it does the same 
really, for the inside of your vessels. And I know that's pretty simplistic, but sugar is very acidic when your body cannot deal with it. This is the genesis of heart disease, much more than cholesterol. The genesis is the inflamed blood vessels that cause the cholesterol to start to stick. If you reduce your sugar, you will reduce your inflammation. So you reduce your cardiac risk. Okay, so when you say uh, stick... Um, I was told that I had sticky blood. Is that what they mean? I don't have a clue what that term means. (laughs) But I know that if you look uh, at the glycemic index, you will see the glycemic index of all your food, and you will understand then how quickly, when you eat it, it turns to sugar in your your system. And when, when foods turn to sugar in your system, it causes the pancreas to put out insulin. So we have an insulin response every time we eat a refined carb or a high-carb food or a high-sugar food. After many, many years of this, you know, you become diabetic. It's because you've had this high, high insulin for so many years, you become resistant to your own insulin. I'm hoping in the future that we'll now look at the insulin levels of people instead of just the blood sugar levels of people and the hemoglobin a1c's it's too late once that blood sugar has 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 gone too high and your body's not compensating anymore you've missed already a decade of high insulin that you could have turned your diet around and turned this disease around so you say it's too late if it's reached that point well, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to turn type 2 diabetes around. It can be done, but with great discipline. And, you know, it's always better to prevent these things instead of having to turn around the Queen Mary. Uh, you, know, when um, you know, when it's already a disease and it's already causing a lot of damage to your blood cells and your interior of your kidneys and your backs of your, you know, eyes. And, uh, you know, that's what ends up being di- diabetes complications is, right. is the... Is the Uh, damage it does to tiny blood vessels. I find it really frustrating, frankly. You know, it's been two and a half years since Jeff had his heart surgery, and uh, that whole time I've been saying, but but I feel like it's, it's, it's inflammation, it's sugar, it's not cholesterol, and arguing with doctors and really being okay for for the first while we really just had to believe that they knew what they were talking about and try to live according to their their guidelines but how long do you think it's going to be before the medical profession catches up on this really good question really good question it takes a long long while for information to trickle through to the doctors in their offices uh, they have to have conferences that will reflect this new learning. Uh, they, their publications, their, their publications, their magazines that they read, uh, their journals have to have to reflect the new paradigm information. And it takes a while. It takes a long time. And the problem, okay, and I'm just going to speak my mind on this being the paranoid, sometimes paranoid. I'm not as bad as I used to be, especially after the last two weeks of not being on sugar. (laughs) But uh, let's face it. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, let's face it. The pharmaceutical industry is a multi-trillion dollar industry. And if people all of a sudden started getting better, even 20% or whatever, it's going to affect their bottom line. 
and I don't want to start a fight out there. There was a guy that started a fight with us on Facebook when we did a show on statins. I, I don't want to go there, but that, that is, I mean, that does come into play, does it not? There is a tremendous amount of money in the pharmaceutical industry geared at cardiovascular disease and diabetes. A tremendous a lot of money. And if you now were preventing a lot of those diseases by replacing hormones, uh, reducing your sugar, reducing your inflammation, uh, reducing all your cardiac risks through both of those means, then yeah, you would not be going to the drugstore quite so often for your prescription medications, for sure. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that we came across when we started researching the statin drug, which a lot of people are on for cholesterol, is that when you are reducing your cholesterol using a statin drug, you're also reducing your hormone levels because you need the cholesterol. Yes, and there's actually, I'd read a new study just uh, the other day that uh, statins are now linked with a higher risk of type 2 diabetes. So once, you know, you, you, um, d- you, know, you, do, <laughs> you do mess with that, it's, it's pretty, uh, statins are, are not, not certainly my favorite drug either. Yeah, and what's scary is, is in the States, the pharmaceutical companies were talking about putting statins in the water supply as preventative medicine. Yes, well, you know what, we've been down that road lots because you yeah. know, most some communities still have fluoride, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's all with good intention based on the science at the time, but the one thing we know about science is that uh, it, 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 it's improving and tweaking it all the time, and it, nothing ever stays the same for long yeah and the other thing that you know we keep putting out there um is that the majority of the scientific studies on this stuff are funded by the pharmaceutical industry and they are designed to slant the data that's actually true that's um that's a he's going to start a fight with us i can tell i know (laughs) oh well they have the money they have the money to do so unfortunately you know they yeah. they have the resources to be able to fund the the studies and not too many other organizations actually have that deep of pockets mm-hmm. so so given that we well, well we know that a lot of the medical profession is influenced by the pharmaceutical industry and so they will be um maybe not so well informed about bioidentical hormones um where did you get your information or, or your education on this. What, what motivated you to get into this whole line of work is another question. I think it's um, self-defense, I would put it. You know, having had a pretty rocky perimenopause and a, and a very rocky menopause, it was basically to save my own hide and to feel better. When I started doing the research and started digging and digging, it became clear to me that there was a world of knowledge out there in prevention and regenerative medicine and restorative medicine that was not reaching, um, you know, mainstream folks. And I'm an RN. My husband's a GP. We always have been interested in eating correctly, eating clean, taking the right nutraceuticals to uh, compensate for the lack of absorption as you age, you know, lower stomach acids and and so forth. Uh, So we've always been interested in this kind of preventative, uh, you know, way of living. But then when um, it came to the hormone side of things, it was 
purely self-defense. And I think women are tremendously proactive on this because they feel so horrible. I mean, not to say every woman has through has a terrible menopause. There's many women that uh, fail through and don't have a clue what the rest of us are talking about. Uh, and those women, I'm very jealous of them. <laughs> but but I, I think it is probably that they, they have higher DHEA production from their adrenal glands or some other compensatory uh, medic, you know, mechanism in their bodies genetically that helps them do this. The rest of us need our hormones. And uh, so when I start doing the research, I um, unearthed a, a world of data. Then I discovered this uh, program by uh, World Lake Medical down in the United States uh, that trains physicians in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And the uh, lead educator is a man by the name of uh, Dr. Neil Rousier, and he's a crusty old ER doc, and he wouldn't mind me saying that, mm-hmm. who, came, who, who saw the light because he was seeing all of these conditions in the emergency department that he knew could be prevented by... Um, preventing the osteoporosis, you won't have your broken hip. Uh, prevent the plaques from forming, you won't have your MI. Uh, those, those kinds of initiatives. So he started to do some very evidence-based research and realized that, yeah, that we were totally missing the boat when it came to prevention. You know, conventional medicine and, uh, is very, very good at acute things, uh, but not so great at the long-term view, the helicopter view. Uh, and so... Um, I went to the States and took his program, and um, I sat in a room with four or 500 uh, other medical practitioners, most of whom were GPs or OBGYN, and they, um, uh, they all saw the lights. You know, they were all interested, and of course, you have to pretty much be passionate about this stuff and have a, have a kind of a, a, light, you know, a liking for, for endocrinology and be fascinated by it to sit through all of this you know, reams of knowledge that you need to absorb to really understand uh, the field. Uh, At the end of it, um, I came out with a clinical fellowship and a board-certified in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Hmm. So would a conventional endocrinologist be able to do this? If they uh, um, accepted the teachings and the training uh, of this sort of different way of looking at hormones and endocrinology, of course, any, any, any physician could. It's whether they choose to or not. Right. Well, you know, the thing, and it gets back to what I was saying before, I, I, I just look at the money. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever watched the documentary. Gillian uh, Anderson was the narrator for it. It was called The Widowmaker. And she talked about how much money there is in heart surgery. Just getting a stent put in, which takes 20 minutes to half an hour. In the States, that can be anywhere be- between 35 and I think it was $85,000. Like it was a ridiculous amount of money. And what they were finding is, is that it was such a profit center for the hospitals that they were recommending, recommending stents be installed in patients that didn't even need them. They had one, but they thought, well, you know, you should have another couple put in. And how do you compete with that? Because when you're doing hormone therapy, there can't be a whole lot of money in it. 
No, it <laughs> there isn't. Uh, but you know, it, the thrill. I I just see such happy people at the end of it. Uh, yeah. People are so relieved and grateful, and yeah. feel so much healthier. Their brain works. The brain fog goes. They're able to think. They're getting back to themselves. I give them back you know, what they considered to be what they had before, and they lost somehow. Right. They weren't, didn't do anything different, but we do give, you know, a, a lot of thought to nutrition. I definitely stress uh, the eating, changes in lifestyle to do with diet, most especially sleep. We address sleep issues. We address nutrition issues, you know, supplements. We test for all those things, and then we look at the hormones. It's, a, it's almost like a milk stool. There's three legs to it, and it's, they've all got to be there. Well, speaking of supplements, you were ta- or talking to us about how not all companies are created equal. Absolutely. You know so what? can I you feel, share? I feel really sorry for people when they go into the drugstore or the health food store because they're facing this wall wall of supplements and Mm -hmm. you know they they want to get healthy their intentions are amazing but they just have no they're overwhelmed and who wouldn't be so i i understand that i and they just walk away finally they grab something in their price range and walk away and hope for the best and that is just so sad in my view because um you know some these people want to do the right thing but it's really hard to know which one to buy yeah, I, I have a few favorite um, companies that are Canadian, and we always look for something called GMP, General Manufacturing Process. And that's kind of like almost like being certified organic in the supplement world. So if you're going to buy a product, I would suggest you look for that first at the GMP certification. It should be on the label, not the NP number. That's everybody, every product out there gets an NP number. But the little G, the little M, and the little P on the side of the supplement bottle means that they've had rigorous testing and they've been basically from field right to bottle on the shelf. They've been vetted by an independent organization. Okay, GMP. I will... Mm -hmm. uh Make so, a note of that. So can you mention some of the brands that you would recommend? I don't know that. Um, I, I don't know what, what, whether it's, it's um, allowed or not, but certainly uh, at, at the risk of um, making a, a legal error here, I'm going to anyway, well, because I think it's important that people do know. Uh, I like uh, Canadian products such as um, AOR out of Calgary. I like. I think Natural Factors is a very good good company. Uh, they. Um, uh, I like Douglas Labs, Metagenics, Botanica. I like New Roots. Um, I like. I like Prairie Naturals. Actually, you know that's a drugstore line, and they're pretty good. Prairie Naturals. What about Kirkland? I tend to try to steer away from Kirkland because I don't know what their supply chain is, and they're, you know, um, come from America, so I don't have a clue where they're getting their product, their their elements that they make their product from. Okay. So that's that's why I like companies that have a very transparent supply chain. You can go online to all those companies and look um, to see how they're. If they have, you know, if they're reputable, they'll have a lovely website with a lot, lots of bragging about how good they are, and you know, <laughs> their process is going to be really, really 
you know, top-notch, and they're, you're going to be able to, there's going to be lots of scientific um, studies and information that backs their product and why they've chosen to put this and that in that particular um, product. And you were saying, too, that they get right down to the detail of which field the yes. product came from, yes. right? Yes, if, if, if for sure. I mean, a, a, a product with a transparent supply chain should be able to tell you exactly which field the the, the um, uh, you know basic ingredients for that product came from. So, is the regulating body then? Is it a government body, or I mean, hey, I can say I'm officially whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm the issuer of that certificate. So, uh, how what what makes this organization legitimate? They are a now. Don't quote me on this because I think I remember. They are a body that is the overseeing regulatory commission for natural health products, and they are a North American. Um, they are a North American entity. They're a North American organization. They're not right. specifically Canadian or specifically American. Mm-hmm. But if you want to apply for GMP certification, you have to go to this regulatory agency mm-hmm. and apply, and then they send inspectors and and you know inspect your so GMP process. GMP stands for Good Manufacturing Practices. Is that right? Uh, general Manufacturing Process. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay, uh, 20 minutes ago or so, you said that, getting back to the hormones here, that hormones have a direct effect on diseases like uh, Alzheimer's. Yes. Is that true? And is that in, I guess I'm assuming that would apply for men as well as women? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, hormones uh, control virtually all of the functions of the body, including reproductive, immune, metabolic systems, and hormones can actually control physical and mental health. We, you know, as we lose our hormones, we tend to get lose our confidence. Uh, we tend to get, you know, uh, brain fog or have memory issues, and and this certainly has been very strong uh, links and very good studies. Uh, uh, you know, asserting that uh, certainly if you replace your hormones, your chances of getting dementia are much, much lower, and chances of getting Parkinson's are much, much lower, and also macular degeneration. So, will those, it, you know, hormones will actually prevent those things from happening. Will really? it reverse it, though, if someone already has one of these illnesses? I wouldn't go so far as to say it would reverse it. I would certainly hope it would definitely put a stop on it yeah. and, and stop it from getting any worse. So that, it, I, that I can say, you know, yeah. is probably what's going to be more likely. Is there an age at which it, you shouldn't be taking hormone supplementation anymore? No, no, I don't. Uh, we in when it's 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 thought that you know the, it can be beneficial even when you're absolutely nine. yes. It, it, it definitely the sooner you start, the better. But better late than never. There's still some benefits to be had. Uh, they're not going to be as great, certainly, uh, starting at 80, uh, but there's going to be some. And it's going to probably be in the areas of less joint pain, um, mood, a better immune function, those kinds of things. So, I would say probably at 80 rather than, you know, dramatic um, lowering of your cardiovascular risk. 
So th- this is something that's really interesting be- to me as a woman because I had symptoms uh, postmenopausal that I had no idea were connected to hormone levels. I started experiencing more joint inflammation, more food sensitivities, more uh, immune issues, all these things, uh, heart, racing heart um, that I understand are connected to hormone levels. And and I didn't didn't know that. Well, no. Uh, And in fact, we should be as a society talking more about, about all those symptoms because women do need to know that. Uh, these things can be prevented and can be um, actually reversed. So every woman's a snowflake, as we like to say, <laughs> and so everyone's going to react to menopause differently. Some people do just get the horrible joint pains and the arthritis and the brain fog and they don't sleep well. And then the next woman will have the, the thumping heart and the feeling like the dove's getting out of their chest and, and they are having the hot flashes. And there, some women, it's all, you know, the, you know incontinence. Uh, it's all over the map, uh, depending on your genetics, you know, and your vulnerable areas in your body. Those are the areas that you're going to experience your symptoms with menopause. Because hormones are so vital to every cell in your body. You've got hormone receptors for estrogen in every cell of your body. Your heart, your brain, your muscles, not just your breast and your uterus. You've got hormone receptors in every tissue. So naturally, every tissue is going to suffer when the estrogen is not there. And same with men for the testosterone. What about estrogen for men? You well, we don't replace estrogen for men. No, because... but but do we have receptors in our bodies? I, oh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not being funny. Mm-hmm. No, or at least no, I'm not trying have, to be. No, you do have estrogen receptors. Right. Uh, but it, you know, that's the testosterone that you produce aromatizes into a form of estrogen that um, that attaches to those receptors and aromatizes. Can you define aromatizes, that? That's a fancy term for change. Okay. It, 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 you know, your body actually does a little, little morphing of this hormone uh, and into something that the body needs at that moment. Okay. Mm. Interesting. So, okay, um, you obviously are quite knowledgeable in this, and you specialize in this. And our show, as you know, is called Shift Happens, and we're trying to encourage our listeners to have some positive shifts in their lives. If they were to contact you, can you tell them what the process would be? Absolutely. Uh, so I would, um, the first appointment's an hour and a half, wherever yeah. that might take place, whether it's in my office in Cowles or um, wherever it is we, we meet or wherever it is I find you. And uh, so with that first appointment would be an hour and a half, and at that point in time we do a pretty extensive history um, some basic sort of physical examinations, and then we talk about the possibility of ordering some blood tests and the possibility of the um, perhaps some um, prescriptions for hormones if that's required at that time. Uh, but that certainly we can wait until the blood works back. We'll also talk very much about your nutritional status and your sleep and um, your stress level those kinds of things. So that comprises the first appointment. Second appointment is within three weeks of the first one where we review any of the results of the blood work, 
I interpret them for you, and we talk again about next steps. So when you interpret, are you using tarot cards? or? <laughs> I'm telling you what the blood tests mean in terms that everyone can understand. So that, And I'm making little notes, and then I give you a copy and you take them home so that you've got them. Right. To, so that you understand, your, you understand what's going on in your body. A ton of what I do is educating, letting people know what's going on in their bodies, removing the mystery letting them know the nuts and bolts, explaining it so that they know there's cause and effect and they can see that in real terms and they understand it. And once people understand the mechanisms and why we're doing what we're doing and how it's going to help, there's tremendous more buy-in. Mm-hmm. People are willing to, to you know, Make not do that Sara Lee cake at nine at night and they're willing to, you know, have a healthier option for breakfast than Frosted Flakes and Captain Crunch and, you know. Something that came up for me in the blood test process was that my estrogen levels were considered normal for my age. That's right. And so they predicate all those lab re- ranges on a bunch of old sick women <laughs> because that's what they went to the doctor for. And so, yeah, that's considered normal, which is one of the most hypocritical things. The the, the patient is coming to you because they feel like crap. And and so you do the, oh, you're, you know, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, that's just normal for you to feel like crap right now because you've got no estrogen (laughs) because you're 56. And my training says that, well, you know, yep, we could do better. We could do optimal, and optimal is where we're heading with this. Optimal is how you functioned at in your mid-30s, and we're not going to prevent you from aging. Let me get that straight. The number on your driver's license is not going to change, <laughs> but what we can do is make sure when you're 80, you're able to bend down, get up, do whatever you like. You don't spend your days sitting in a chair. You, don't spend, you spend your days doing exactly what you want to do, healthy eating what you want to eat, you know, being uh, active and alive. Sounds good to me. Optimal functioning, not normal. Yes, the lab test will tell you what normal is. So what happens if there are negative situations? I, I, like, are there any things that can come up that would prevent you from doing the hormone therapy right out of the gate? Depends on the individual. If they've come to me with complaints, like they're not well, and that's why they're sitting in front of me, then we'd want to find out what was going on. Um, depending, you know, it's, uh, that, that's job number one, is figuring out not just giving hormones to everyone that comes through the door, but actually figuring out whether this is actually the problem or not, or whether there's something else in addition to the, you know, deficiency in hormones. Is there any relationship between sleep apnea and hormones? Yes. As the testosterone and the estrogen drop, weight piles on. Your body produces cortisol to compensate for the um, lack of proper hormone level. And that causes weight gain, especially around the stomach. 
um, follicle-stimulating hormone rises as your estrogen falls. And there's also um, some evidence to suggest that follicle-stimulating hormone at the high levels you have at menopause because it's the pituitary hollering at the ovaries to produce more estrogen. That follicle-stimulating hormone causes weight gain on its own. So there's a number of reasons for weight gain. Uh, Less muscle mass, uh, slower metabolism, and with that weight gain, there's usually sleep apnea. Right. You know, what I I struggle with is our bodies are pretty intelligent uh, organisms, and I don't really understand why it is if hormones are so necessary for proper function, why do our hormones drop off at such an early age when, you know, here our lifespan is 80 or 90 and, and things go to pot at 50? We weren't. We're not meant to live this long. We basically have the same carcasses that our caveman ancestors did, uh, but with you know better nutrition, vaccinations, safer lifestyle, all of these things, we're living. You know, out we're outliving our ancestors. Uh, so endocrine endocrine-wise, our systems are the same as they were. Um, you know, thousands of years ago. So we've just got to. To, to compensate. We've now got all the technology and the medical know-how to actually uh, compensate for that. And so we're living in a pretty exciting time where we can um, have the hormones of a 35-year-old, if we choose, even though we are aging. And with those hormones, we are going to be functioning properly. And we'll have a bunch of randy old people running Yeah, I around. was just thinking it's going to affect, uh, what do you call it, uh, Viagra, Viagra sales, sales, right? <laughs> right. It, well, hopefully not, because hopefully that's one of the things we're going to, um, we're going to help with is uh, the lack of the, the need for Viagra. You'll be hopefully, do, you know, generating your, your own uh, natural Viagra. Mm-hmm. So just because we said that, I'm sure you're going to get like a thousand calls from our <laughs> listeners, all from men, right? Well, you know, it's about time because women are much more vocal about their health than men. And so they get a lot of attention and they raise the flag. And, you know, we talk a lot about menopause. We've got Suzanne Summers books. We've, you know, it's been a high profile. It's pretty high profile menopause. Te- andropause, as they call it, has not been quite so well publicized it certainly is out there but men are reluctant to talk about it for you know obvious reasons i think it's called mental pause yes it's mental pause (laughs) men have have always historically been less proactive about their health and and less aware and just want it to all go away and go back to normal but that's just men uh, so we need to have more conversations and allow men to say, you know, yeah, um, actually, let's, you know, I might want to think about that because maybe that's going to help me. Um, we need to give permission to men for men to have, um, have, be able to go to their doctors and not be thinking that this is somehow not normal. It is absolutely normal, and every other man is experiencing it the same way. Well, it looks like we're at the top of the hour here. We've just got a couple minutes before Jeff of Oye comes in. But I have to thank you, Cheryl, uh, not just for doing the interview, but in many ways I think you helped save my bacon. Aww. And I'm eating bacon. Woohoo! <laughs> 
and avocados and taking all your D vitamins and your B12. Yeah, I've I've been a good boy across the board. Um, Sometimes the day just gets too full and I don't do my three to five kilometers or whatever, but uh, I am getting my shift together. (laughs) Well, I knew that you would because you're a very motivated guy and you have, you know, a lot of, of being physical in your background and yes. a lot of discipline in your background and you know what it is to be fully empowered and and strong and i know that you want to get back there again that's right i do <laughs> oh yeah i have to uh, ask you one quick question before we go yeah. um i uh have been doing the high protein diet along with jeff um partly just to be supportive and partly to simplify the cooking process, I wanted to eliminate refined sugars and carbohydrates from my diet anyway. But I am having some difficulty, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe there's other people out there with the same issues that I do. I, I was a vegetarian for years. I function really easily eating very little protein. I'm having some difficulty keeping my energy levels up with the protein diet. Is there anything you can recommend for people like me? Beer. I suspect that your energy levels are due to the fact that you're probably not incorporating as much good fats as you need to. So the good fats and oils that will give you energy. If you are, you know, that's what your body is using for energy and, um, you know, instead of of the refined carbs. Right. I mean, I'm eating the same diet that Jeff is, and he's thriving on it. And I'm dragging my butt, honestly. The only time I feel good is if I break down and eat an apple. Then you should eat an apple because there's really nothing wrong with an apple. You know, but, uh, it's, it, everyone also, depending on their blood type and their genetics, are going to be able to tolerate a little bit more carbs than yeah. the next person. Mm-hmm. People with a background that is Viking or Celtic or, or Native um, American uh, or Indigenous are going to be... Um, getting by on very high protein and do better on very limited uh, refined carbs. But uh, some folks, if they've got Italian, uh, Mediterranean, uh, North African background, they're going to be evolutionarily better able to tolerate a little higher carb content in their diet. Right. So maybe I just need to up my carbs a little bit more than him. As long as, you know, it's uh, good complex carbs, yeah. You know, fruit and vegetables always are a good option. Uh, There's, you know, grasses instead of grains is um, always a good option. What about legumes, the the lentils, the chickpeas, all that category? Um, If if you're the person that is feeling those are missing and you're, you know, you you should listen to your body. And if your body's telling you that, yeah, you know, those are probably going to, this is something I'm really craving right now. It's okay. your body sort of talking to you. There's nothing inherently wrong with the legumes and the pulses family, the lentils and the chickpeas and so forth. You know, for um, if you're doing a strict ketogenic diet, they're probably not going to be on on that. Uh, 50 carbs, 50 grams of carbs or less, they're probably not going to be included. But if you're doing better on 75 carbs, uh, grams of carbs a day, uh, then probably you're going to be including those things. And they're healthy, you know, for people who can tolerate them well. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Cheryl. If if our listeners want to get a hold of you, it's yaremco at gmail.com. Y is in yellow, 
A-R-E-M-C-O, Yaremco at gmail.com. Thanks very much, Cheryl. We really have to go, but I'm sure we'll have you on again. I would look forward to it. Okie dokie. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was Cheryl Yaremco, and we have to rush off because Jeff of Oye is up next. Oh, and Sunday, the show is re-airing, and it will be songwriters and covers coming up next. Exactly. So we'll see you next week.